A name is a very powerful thing. If you've ever been in charge of naming something, you know the significance of the name. We remember in the creation story that God gives authority to Adam and Eve to name all of the animals. And in that demonstration, then, we see that God gives power to his creation, the image, the man and the woman that he has created, to rule the earth, because to name something is to have authority over it. Whether you've named a child or a business or a mission, you know the importance of a name. This next Sunday, on January 8th, we will be celebrating the baptism of our Lord, and we'll have baptisms at the 10 o'clock service. And if you notice, when I ask for people to name the child, they just give the first and middle name. They don't give the surname. That's on purpose. Because, you see, our surname identifies us in the world. Our given name is ours in which we live into. I remind the parents as they bring their children forward for baptism that in baptism we become children of God. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are made children of God. And so our surname is God's name. We are God's children. That's our primary identity. And so therein lies the power of Jesus' name. The name that gives us our primary identity. The name Jesus is taken from Aramaic, and it means Yahweh saves. It's a derivative of the Hebrew name Joshua. So Jesus was not the first person to be named Jesus. Just as there were people even named Joshua with the same meaning. Yahweh saves. But to say Jesus' name again and again is to remember and to recall and to internalize what it means. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. For some reason, we know that this is true. And we know the power of Jesus' name, even though we can't give some formula, if you will, to clarify why it is so powerful. But we know the power of the name of Jesus through stories of people whose lives had been changed through Christ. Him after him recalls the power of the name of Jesus and what it does to us as we say the name Jesus, remembering through articulating his name, Yahweh saves. I think of the hymn that we have in our own hymnal, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. It's near the end of our hymnal. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name, the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. This hymn was written out of someone's experience of Jesus. And that is one experience of many in the power of the name of Jesus. 
I remember a story that I heard actually from a book by, written by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy. I read it, so to speak, earlier um, in 20, well, near the end of 2016. And by read it, I mean I listened to it on tape. He tells a story of his fight to get an inmate off of death row. Brian Stevenson is a lawyer in Montgomery, Alabama. And the single thing that took him to that region was to get people off of death row. And he soon discovered in that exercise of just one inmate how many people had not had a fair trial and then had been convicted to death row. He even discovered that people had been subject to inaccuracies and the suppression of evidence. And his heart broke further, realizing that this was across racial lines. It's incredible to listen to his book or to read it, to see that racism can be so blatantly in the open, even in our day and age. And indeed, he tells the story of one particular inmate that he was defending. This man had been accused of a murder, but the evidence didn't stack up at all to see that he was guilty. And in fact, he had been um, told that he would be on death row before the trial was even finished, which even breaks the law further. So Brian Stevenson had gone through the workings that lawyers go through to discover that there was a way to bring this before the court again. It was going to be a hard sell because of the town in which it was being held and the people who had been a part of bringing about the first verdict. But he decided to take it on anyway because the injustice was so blatant. He describes the courtroom. The inmate that he was defending was black. The people who were on the other side all were white men. And the judge, who had been a part of this trial before, was also a white man. And as you hear the story, you see the evidence of how this is along racial lines. When Brian brought the people to, his inmate to the court, people of his community showed up. And so, on that particular day, there was a room full of dark-skinned faces in support of the convicted. Desperate they were to see justice done and for him to be freed from a crime he was wrongfully accused of. There was a group of people from the local church, his local church, in the, out in the hallway, and they were deciding who would go in to be a part of supporting him, this particular inmate. This was the second day of the trial. And something different had taken place on this second day of the trial. As you entered into the courtroom, a metal detector was there the second day, and a big German shepherd. There seemed to be no need for this, but it was indeed there. The preacher out in the hallway was determining which people from the congregation would go in, and he called on one particular matriarch of that community. She was dressed in her Sunday finest and had been a stalwart of that Christian community. She went to enter into the courtroom, and she saw the German shepherd there, and she froze. She demonstrated what I would describe as post-traumatic stress. He describes it in his book. She can't move. She starts to make sounds. She starts to physically respond in a way that indicates fear, and she backs out of the room. 
Well, Brian, who is the lawyer, is infuriated by this, as you can imagine. And knowing that he has to walk a fine line in order to see this court, this case through to the end, is picking his battles about what to do. In his story, he tells that the next day, this woman shows up again in an effort to support this particular person who was convicted. And she apologizes to Brian for her inability to enter the courtroom that day. And he says, no, no, it's okay, I understand. She goes on to talk about the suffering that she endured in the 60s and how German shepherds were a part of that and what she witnessed during the civil rights movement in that region of the country and how it all came flooding back to her when she saw that dog. Brian is trying to assure her he understands it's really okay. And she says to him, I'm going in there today. And you hear him in his book say to her, it's okay, you don't have to. You don't have to prove anything. And she said, no, I'm going in there. And she goes to the door. And there is the metal detector. And there is the dog. And she steals herself and enters into the room. He asks her later how she could do that. And she said, when I went home, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed the name of Jesus until I felt the peace of Jesus, until I remembered who I am. And it was in remembering that that I was able to enter the courtroom. This is the power of Jesus' name. Jesus, Yahweh saves And when we remember that, then we remember who we are, children of God, made children of God, because God loves us so much that God came among us to convey to us the immensity of God's love. It changes everything. We see ourselves as valuable beyond what anyone else measures us by. We understand who we truly are. And yes, it does miraculous things then when we realize the abundant and merciful grace and love that God has for us. We then hear the saving, the saving nature of Jesus' name. Yahweh saves, we are reminded. It causes us to sing, to remember these words. Oh, Jesus, shepherd, Guardian, friend, O prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my way, my life, my end, accept the praise I bring. Amen.